This is Hoops Forum presented by Radius Athletics and a Quick Time Out podcast. He's Randy Sherman. I'm Tony Miller. Randy, congratulations. I don't know if you uh, you didn't know this. I kept it from you from the very beginning when we were talking beforehand. This is a milestone episode. What's this that? is episode number 40. 40. Big 4-0. That's awesome. It's been fun, man. I've enjoyed it. I hope we, I hope we keep going and keep growing. Yeah, it's been a good time. Special episode, not just because of the milestone, but also because we have Coach Doug Brotherton, Coordinator of Player Development for Tulsa Women's Basketball, joining us today. But before we get to Coach Brotherton, a big thanks to our sponsors over at 323 Sports. We're in the middle of winter and temperatures for a lot of us are cold. I'm sure they're still warm for Randy, although it looks like he's wearing a hoodie. 323 Sports has some great options for outerwear for teams and also for those in uh, your athletic department on staff. To find out more about what they can do for your program, visit 323sports.com, or you can contact a rep sales at 323sports.com. They'll be sure to do it right for your sports program. As I mentioned before, Coach Brotherton is our guest today. Coach, thanks for making some time in between some of your duties there at Tulsa. Yeah, excited to be on here with you guys. Randy, why don't you go ahead and kind of introduce what we're going to be talking about, and then we'll start with our hot takes. Well, like a lot of coaches, I, I follow Doug on Twitter, and uh, he he posed a, a question that I thought was thought provoking. As soon as I saw it, and and kind of it made me think, and I and I sent it to you, Tony, and said, "Hey, this might be a good idea to kind of make a hoops forum show out of, of like you know, just sort of some things that coaches think matter more than it actually does. Things we tend to maybe like like overrate or overvalue as coaches." You know, with that in mind, what I thought we could do is get Doug on. He he, after all, wrote the wrote the tweet, and 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 I know he's a good guest on things like this. So we're we're glad to have him. And what I thought we could do is just sort of like go around the room, if you will, a couple times and throw out um, a couple of things that we would put in that blank space. Coaches think blank matters more than it actually does. So I'll let you take it back, Tony, and 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 be the good host that you are. Maybe Coach Brotherton's above me with this, but I'm not below um, subtweeting when it comes to stuff like this. So <laughs> me without uh, you don't need to call anybody out with this. But did you have something in mind in particular when you tweeted this, Coach? I'm in a new role this year where I get to take a step back, and it's my first time not being a head coach, and you know just get to kind of evaluate things. And was having a conversation with a coaching friend of mine, and mm -hmm. just talking about kind of what's important. It's that time of year where you're you're losing for the first time. Sometimes you know we've been fortunate we haven't haven't done that yet, but you know when you start losing games, you start trying to think about what's important. And I think we just add and pile on and we think something might be really important, but maybe it's not. And so that was kind of the, the premise, you know, and then the reasoning behind throwing that up there and the responses were great. It was, it was really fun. And, you know, I love that it generated conversation. That's I think what we all enjoy on Twitter. Randy, you were one of the first ones to comment and I, I, I appreciated your comment. It was something that I've learned something from you about, uh, but why don't you go ahead and start us out? First thing that comes to mind when you see that statement, coaches think what matters more than it actually does. And your thought was. My first answer was in game coaching, like this sort of like idea that a lot of the important parts of coaching happen on game night. And I, I, I don't think that's to be true. And I would say as we, proceed before my inbox gets blown up or my mentions get shattered like the the point of this exercise is to not say something doesn't matter like in-game coaching and decisions you make you know especially in close games maybe in special situations like those matter and they matter a lot but the exercise that doug proposed was like this matters more 
matters less than coaches think it does. It's not to say it doesn't matter at all. So let's get that out there. So like this idea that like the coach as the whiteboard wizard who's like got this, you know, special gift of coming up with these tactical genius move maneuvers in the moment. Like that's, that's like fan think, I think. And I think, I think sometimes coaches actually think that way. I would say that it matters less than like your in-game coaching ability. Like maybe you're just not that great at that, but like you're great at like designing good practices or really motivating your team or getting your team in terrific condition or, you're you've uh, you know you're you're a good teacher of your offense or a defense like those skills to me matter more than like your tactical wizardry in the moment. This is maybe an, a thought that a lot of coaches are uncomfortable with, but like a lot of games are decided like before we even get off the bus. Your whiteboard wizardry will not save you tonight if you're up against a coach who values the other days of the week more than game night. There's two things that come to mind. The first is just those that are familiar with John Wooden. When he used to say he wanted his teams to be so well prepared that he could go up in the stands and sit. I think there was more to it than just being prepared. I think he knew that once the game started, you really have very little impact on things. And the second thing is something that you've you've said to me before, Randy. I don't know that we've said it online before, but there is this idea in coaches. I think it's just in all human beings, but we're very hopeful about things. And that same hope that projects them to have a 20 win season every year when their team really is realistically only going to win three games that year is the same hope that motivates them that if we're in a tight game or if something's not going our our way in a game, I'll be able to draw something up or make an adjustment and it'll have a dramatic impact and change the course of a game. And I just don't know like to, you know, what Doug's implying here. It's not that that never happens. It's just that that doesn't really happen very often. Yeah. Yeah, Randy, I got a, I got a kick out of your response. I don't know if you saw it was a couple days later. I get a response from a former parent of a player of mine that responds that whiteboard. So clearly <laughs> she's not a big fan of, of you know, all the, the plays and stuff we throw up on social media. But I yeah. got a kick out of it. That was really fun. Yeah, so that's a good one. I'm, I'm with you. I think that that's uh, definitely something. I, I'm glad you started off with that hot take. Hopefully some of the coaches are staying with us. Bring it. I'll defend my take. I'm okay. I can do that. Doug, you want to go next? Yeah. So uh, an assistant of mine's heard me say this a hundred times. So he was one of the first responses. And I do think uh, a lot of times we, we as coaches, because it makes us feel good, overvalue pregame and postgame talks in the locker room. You know, I think that outside of in the pregame, kind of reminding the kids to Randy's point about what you've done to prepare up until then, you know, maybe a a motivational speech helps you go out there and you still got to warm up before you play. So it's not like, I mean, it's got to be real special, you know, if it's, you know, to the third and fourth quarter of a a game. And so, you know, I think we overvalue that. The other thing, and, and at the end of each season, we have our team right like a letter, you know, it's an anonymous letter. They don't have to put their name on it, things they learned, things they liked you know, things they didn't like, ways our program can get better, and then things we can be better at the next year. And in one of those letters years ago, I had a kid, you know, just kind of not so politely let me know that the long post-game talks I was giving, they weren't hearing anything I said. They couldn't remember anything. You know, I think we forget how emotional a game can be for our players. And so that tirade we go on in the locker room to set them straight. If you were to ask your players the next day, what did we talk about? They probably have no clue. They just know coach was pretty upset. And so, mm-hmm. you know, again, there can, like you've said over and over, there can be great value in pregame and postgame talks. Um, but I do think at times we overvalue it because as coaches, it makes us feel really good about the message we deliver. Yeah, I'd go even a subset of that. 
and stepping away from the games and more into like practice. But even the amount of time that we talk in practice, um, I saw something the other day, you're probably good for about 30 seconds is all until kids start tuning you out or until just the brain is kind of like at max capacity and can't remember things anyways. And I coached one time with a guy who in his younger years, when it came to coaching, especially like those halftime talks, he literally talked for 15 minutes mm. and the kids, I mean, they, they didn't go execute on anything that he said after about the first 30 seconds because their brain just couldn't take it. And whether that's in a game at, at a halftime talk or a pregame postgame, or even during a practice, I think a lot of times there's one of two people. Usually the first one is the coach that maybe the young coach that wants to show how much he knows. And the second one who has good intentions and wants to correct 50 things but the kid's not ready to handle, the kids aren't ready to hear all 50 things. Mm -hmm. And that's where you have to have the mindset of this is more of a marathon than it is a sprint. And I don't need to fix everything either before the first game or before, before second semester starts or before Friday's opponent, because they're not going to remember it anyways. And it's probably going to lead to frustration on everybody's part. All right, Tony, it's your turn, man. What, what do you got? What, 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 what's your fill in the blank? that first came to my mind, coaches think that conditioning drills matter more than they actually do. It goes back to my coaching hero, John Wooden, as I've listened to other coaches talk as well. And as I've come to value the games approach a lot more is that there's practice time is just so valuable. I remember talking, I had Swin Nader on my podcast uh, about a year ago, and he was talking about coach Wooden and he said, he didn't even ever think about running sprints. And we didn't even think about well, we're not running sprints. We're not going to be in condition. He said at the end of each practice, we were completely gassed. And we knew like saying that he had that I want my practices to be harder than games. He said, that's not something that he just wrote in a book. Like that's actually how it was. We were so tired. Just Coach Wooden was so ahead of his time. He was playing. He said, we basically played games all the time. We were practicing and playing five on five. And they didn't do as much like three on three and two on two, he said. But he said we were full core that that infamous two two one full court press that they won with for all those years. Like he said, we practiced that the entire practice. We never once had to do conditioning drills. I know sometimes we squeeze conditioning in or we make kids run lines, but I've frequently found maybe I'm just speaking myself. I make guys run when I'm mad and it makes me feel better. And that doesn't do that doesn't do anybody any good. It just makes me feel better temporarily. So I would really encourage coaches to like examine why why are you doing or how are you incorporating running, sprinting? Are you using that as an excuse uh, for you actually just kind of blowing off steam? Or are there some better ways that we can go about incorporating that to prepare our, our players physically for their for their actual games? I think that's that's fair. I can definitely relate to like thinking about my time as a player. You know, that was there was like a portion of practice where we were even in football, we were running from one sideline to the other in the Texas heat, trying to get ready for the games, you know, and things like that. Like, I, I don't know. I felt like that was maybe more like showing who was already in shape rather than like getting someone in shape, you know, like, you know, so like I'd be, I'd be lying though, if I didn't say that at some point during my time at a coach, I didn't make my team run, but yeah. It's probably over overhyped and overvalued. I would just agree. That's a shift I made over the years. When I first jumped into coaching, 
Same yeah. thing. Get on the line and tow it up was said way too often. And and mm-hmm. now and even we we run if we lose a drill and we have a consequence, it's with a basketball. You mm-hmm. know. And so I just think that to your point, we're much more efficient with our time because we're layering in multiple skills while still getting our conditioning. Well, and Doug, too, now you're at the collegiate level. You guys have like a strength and conditioning coach and a, a, a person dedicated that yeah. like they get to do that. I think that'd be really cool. Like, I don't I don't want to be the bad guy like I, that guy can be the bad guy. So, yes. so uh, he makes you run and he makes you jump on boxes like in high school. I had to be that guy and and I, I didn't get to pass that off. Um, to someone else so uh, that, that'd be cool to because yeah. I mean you got to get in shape and like sprinting and explosive movement like that is like the most you know is like like a like a powerful exercise that you you know that that part is part should be part of an ap- athlete's repertoire is 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 their explosive power and speed but you get someone else to make them do that at a, another time and, and your focus can be just on basketball Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're really lucky there. I also like, honestly, our, our sport performance coach does a great job with making it small competitive games. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we've had days where we've done like capture the flag and that's a conditioning day because they're running and they have to move and there's certain restrictions that force that. But yeah. that's another thing, too, that's so great. to. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily a basketball games based approach, Tony, but I mean, we get better results out of the kids when it's not just run, you know, when there's yeah. actually some something to it that makes it competitive and fun. More motivated, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Next round. Okay, I'm throwing out. Like, hey, I'm bringing the hot takes. I'm not. I'm not holding back. So, uh, I remembered the assignment, and the assignment was something that coaches think matters more than it actually does. And my answer is free throws. I think the few years of of really studying some of the statistics. Um, have taught me that that a team i i, I mean i've co- i worked with a lot of coaches who their team doesn't really have a great free throw rate as far as like how often they're getting to the line and they have a really gaudy win-loss record to the good side like they're winning without being a team that's on the free throw line a whole lot and that's what i mean that's not to say that like in a close game and you know you're trying to ice the game in the late part of the fourth quarter or something like that or second half and you you got to make your free. They obviously matter quite a lot in, in context like that. But like in the macro grand scheme of things, we might overvalue those a little bit. And I'm only basing that on the observation that I've seen lots of teams get outperformed from the free throw line and win a game and not only win it, but win it in a blowout fashion because they create a lot of turnovers. They get a lot of offensive rebounds. They shoot the ball well and they play great defense that, you know, that they didn't get to the foul line a whole lot just didn't matter. I think that one's easy because it's low-hanging fruit. We've tr- conditioned ourselves as coaches to immediately look at that piece of paper that they hand to us. For us, Doug, after Oh, we lost minutes, by four and we missed 16 yeah. free throws. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're looking straight at free throws. We also or, gave up 30 offensive rebounds. Exactly right. So. I think free throws, shooting, and then turnovers, and then maybe we look at rebounding. And we won't rehash the whole thing, but we've talked several episodes about the four factors and uh, how to weight those. And to your point, just because you lose one doesn't mean you'll lose the game, but there is a weight that goes along with it. And if you can make up in other areas, but the weightiness of free throws does not warrant probably some of the amount of time that's spent on practices. Doug, how do you guys practice free throws? I mean, we, we blend them in a little bit into our practices, but a lot of it, honestly, is our kids on their own. You know, it's mm-hmm. it, we're pretty lucky. Our players take ownership of it. It's something that we've, you know, our, our, our leaders on the team track it and we do, you know, we do kind of chart it. But 
similar to that. I mean, as much as we want to, we have a goal for how many times we want to get to the free throw line in a game. We're currently eight. No. And I think we've hit that goal four times and haven't hit it four other times. You know, it's it mm. really, a lot of it depends on the defensive philosophy. How yeah, and the officiating, I mean, like, yes, it could be yeah. that as simple as that. Like you've got a crew that calls it tight or loose or whatever. Yeah. Mm. And we, we shoot a lot of, a lot of threes. And, and I think right now we're like, third in the country in, in three-point field goal percentage. So for us, we'd much rather drive and kick than go get clobbered and split a pair. You know, let's go get mm-hmm. the wide open three that's one pass away. And so I think, again, I think, you know, that, that's a great answer, Randy. I would, would agree a ton. And I think if you would have said that to me five years ago, I would have would have fought you on it. So Yeah, like but, I, I was on a one-on-one session with a coach in, in my uh, mentoring program recently. And, well, I should say it was not recently. It was probably back during the summers before the season. And when he wanted to look over his stats from the last year, the guy had a 24 and four record and was worried about his free throw rate. And I was like, you just want, woke up wanting to worry about something today or like, what, what's the deal? Like, seems like it's working out okay for you. Can we move on? All right, Doug, next up. Whew, Randy, bring I'm going to bring some heat on this one too. Bring and it. I know, I know coaches are going to light me up, but again, I'm going to preface just the same way Randy did. It's a good play what I'm going to talk about, but I think it's overvalued. And I would say taking charges. And I know that's going to oh, just crush the soul of a lot of people. And hurt. this is pretty brave. You know, the one thing I, I do feel like obviously taking a charge is a great play in basketball, but a lot of times I don't think we, we look at both sides of that. You know, I think it, it's probably, we want to say it's a 50-50 play. Let's say 60% of the time, though, they call a charge. That's great. You're going to have some games where one of your best players gets in foul trouble because they decide to step in and take a charge. You can be really good and win a whole lot of games without having to take charges to the same thing as free throws. But to me, ultimately what taking a charge is, is it's rim protection. And I just view it that way. I think mm-hmm. that you know we, we've had some teams when I was coaching at the high school level with a ton of length, and I'd rather just wall up and make players try to finish over us. And I didn't want our, to risk our bigs getting in foul trouble because we're flailing and taking a charge. Just be big, wall up. But we've had some teams that are really small, and we have some depth with those teams. And so maybe that's a team where we're going to want to take charges when they drive the lane. You know, I think it's a little bit of a risk-reward. You know, if you've got seven players in your rotation that you're highly dependent on and you're saying you want to be a team that's going to take five or six charges a game, you better get number eight and nine ready. They're going to have to play. You know, and I think sometimes – Again, I understand the identity piece, the toughness. I value all of that. We want our kids at Tulsa to take charges. Like they, we get fired up when they do. Um, but again, I just, I personally view that as as rim protection. And every time someone takes a charge, we go crazy and say it changes the game. But we don't talk about when our player gets their third foul in the second quarter because they take a charge, you know, and don't get the call. Mm-hmm. And now the other team goes on a 12-2 run because your best player is sitting next to you. And so um, the other thing I'll add, and this is just a, a friend of mine gave me this tidbit. We want our, our players to play tough like Kobe. <laughs> There's a lot of quotes out there where Kobe says he wouldn't take charges. And so, again, I know the hate's coming. I'm ready for it. I'll stand by my opinion there. But I view charges as a great solution for rim protection, but probably a little bit overvalued in the grand scheme of things. Would you I include diving that. on the floor for loose balls in that? Ah, we do dive. I, I don't know. I'm super inconsistent. I, I'll, I'll just, you know, <laughs> we're going to go get that loose ball, but there is risk reward in that too, Tony. So you got me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think the charge is sometimes like can be sometimes such a momentum play that, that it can kind of like almost be a symbol for a lot of the emotional components of the game. And that's probably why it gets kind of overhyped and overvalued. Cause it's like, it can be like, this team was so close to closing and this guy slid in and rescued it. And it's got like all those kind of like emotional mm-hmm. touch points that make it get a little bit 
when you go look at that Raptors team, you know, Kyle Lowry leads the NBA and charges taken that year. He was rim protection for them. You know, they, they a lot of times didn't play with a big that played high above the rim and he was an amazing rim protector for them in that playoff run. A lot of his are super floppy too. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of his are a little embellished. Last one that I have here. I don't know that this one's going to be very popular either because I think a lot of coaches do this because they want to feel like they're doing their job or they want to feel like they have a bigger impact than they probably do. Coaches think that scouting is more important than it actually is. I mean, I was one of them. I've been it for the last nine and a half years and I don't know what happened this year, but this is my 10th year coaching at the college level, and I put far less time into scouting than I used to. Maybe selfishly, but I'm, I'm thinking I'm putting all this time into it, and we don't even execute on most of it. And it's not the guy's fault. It really is. I think probably coaches humorously have said this before, but we have a hard enough time remembering our own plays and remembering <laughs> what we're going to do let alone what the other team's going to do. And I'm talking about like knowing what horns play and out of bounds play they're going to run and all this other stuff. There can be an argument made for I as a coach need to know that. I would encourage coaches more so to think about and to scout actions than they do the minute details that a lot of, I know a lot of coaches at least used to put into it. You know, I don't care what horns play they're running or what out of bounds play they're running, but it does matter to me if they run a lot of staggers or ball screens, pin downs, flares, whatever. And that has caused, that has changed the way we've practiced. We will practice guarding actions. So when I go to a particular scout, I can say, we need to make sure that we know how to defend the staggers. Everybody remember how we defend it and go over that in a shoot around or whatever. So I'm not saying don't scout. I'm saying maybe think differently about how you scout and the detail with which you prepare your players or talk about it with your players. Yeah, Tony, I I, uh, I do think that that's a great point about defending actions. You know, I think the more that throughout planning your practice and, and going through the year that you can get your base defense set, defending the actions that you're going to see the most, the better off you'll be. Um, we, we do put a pretty high premium in our program on scouting. Uh, but at the same time, we constantly as a staff have to remind each other, it is not about what we know. It's what we can get the players to recall quickly and then go execute. And so figuring out what you're going to put a priority on in that scouting. You know, if a team's ran an action or a play two times in six games, we don't need to guard that 35 times in our three practices leading up. And so I think that, that the teams and, and groups that do the best job of scouting tend to be the ones that are able to identify and prioritize things. And then to your point about garden actions, have that base in place so that, yeah, they're going to run a stagger for a kid that shoots it. We don't need to spend a lot of time on it because it's been something we've been working on. And, hey, look, we're chase and offering help off the second screen or, you know, whatever your base is, you can get into it. But um, but, yeah, it's it's uh, good luck. But those those mentions, they're, they're coming your way. <laughs> I've seen coaches who are really good at this, like good at scouting and like really do a good job of intelligence work on their opponent as far as like intelligence gathering and things like that. And, and I would say if it makes them feel more confident going into the game and the players feel more confident going in the game and you have the manpower and the resources and all that to do it, then yeah, go ahead. But again, like I've said with my first point is you're, you're doing all this work for a game that more often than not the outcome was decided before we got off the bus but yeah, if you're if you're in there with a team who's equal to you, it could come down to just that one little kernel of information. This player doesn't like to go left, or this player, you know, only takes two dribbles and then they pull up or something. You know, just little kernels of information like that that might be um, useful when when all other 
factors are fairly equal. If it, if it helps you feel confident and prepared, then go for it. I'm finding too at our level, and it's not a high level of college basketball, but the excuse for scouting is we want to take this away. And that a lot of times works when you're running a lot of plays. If you take away the play, then that means their play's blown up and they have to come up with another play. And that's where if you're sure, if you're a football coach and you want to take away that one thing, but for a lot of the offenses nowadays, it's, it's, there's a lot of concepts and based off of how you take something away, they have a counter to it or react to it a different way. Mm -hmm. And to Randy's point, like if your team can't guard the basketball and they can't play help defense and, like, I don't really care what kind of scouting you did. They're going to be able to counter whatever you take away from them. So if you're not solid yeah. in doing the basics of whatever it is, defense or offense, you're going to have a hard time anyways. And so I just think maybe modern basketball has kind of changed the way that we need to think about scouting and, and preparing for opponents. Yeah. yeah. Tony, with that, I think it's it's knowing coverages. I think that's almost more valuable for your offense, knowing coverages mm -hmm. and pressures so that you're preloading those solutions to your players that you've probably already taught them so that when, you know, you go play someone and they're going to side or black or whatever you call it, they're, they're going to down a ball, wing ball screen. Your players aren't surprised the first two times that happens. Yeah. They're expecting it and they've got the counter and solution ready to go. And so, you know, I do think there's so much value in, in that type of information for players versus, Hey, when they go ear tug, they're going to go flare staggered, mm -hmm. you know, whatever mm -hmm. the action, like, Good luck in the game yeah. to your players, you know, and ready to go to guard it. So, all right. I, I want to give you guys one last chance. If you want to make anybody else mad at you, did you have any extras, any bonus? I had one all that right. all honorable mention almost made it. The team meeting, the it's players team only meeting. team only. Yeah. Like when I read like, Oh, the so-and-so like the Boston Celtics just had it called a meet. Like I, who cares? Team. It's over. Yeah, who cares? like, I know y'all like that's you're out of there. I just feel like it, if it get if it's gotten to the point where we need to have a team meeting, that then then that's boy y'all are in trouble. Yeah. Before we wrap things up, if you're wanting to increase your school's revenue or improve the fan experience, then Sideline Interactive is here to help. They're the leading manufacturers of scoring tables and video display boards for high schools and colleges around the country. To find out more about Sideline Interactive, visit sidelineinteractive.com. Before I completely wrap up. Coach Brotherton, why don't you tell people where they can connect with you? You share a ton of great stuff on Twitter. Yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Coach Brotherton uh, or shoot me an email. It's dbrotherton at coachesedge.com. And happy to share anything and everything that I have. And all I'll ask in return is that we talk about it or that you share something back with me. So, yep, Great share of the game. I've known Coach yeah, Brotherton for absolutely. a long time and it's helped me out a lot. Appreciate all of you who joined us this week. If you missed any part of the live show, you can go back and watch that on the Radius Athletics YouTube page. Just search Hoops Forum on YouTube or Radius Athletics, and you should see the show there. Or if you're an audio person, you can listen to the podcast version of the show by searching a quick timeout. You'll find that there under Hoops Forum. For Randy Sherman, for Doug Brotherton, I'm Tony Miller. We'll talk to you again on the next Hoops Forum.